Welcome back to Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carey, and this is bonus episode number 27. And today I am joined by the one, the only co-owner of Magpie Games, Mark Diaz Truman. Mark, what up? Yeah, thank you, man. Really happy to be here. We're at RenCon. This is... RenCon 2019. My favorite Tucson area convention. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, this is my first time at RenCon, and I'm having such a great time. This is a really solid convention. This is what it's about, man. I'm having a blast. Yeah, it's it's funny because the... Yeah, we were talking before we got on, like I, I travel to kind of guaranteed origins, Gen Con and now PAX Unplugged. And those are big, huge trips where we got to plan a booth. We got to make sure we got staff there, you know, et cetera. I drive out to Rincon, like through Phoenix, you know, have drinks with you in Phoenix, see my grandmother in Casa Grande. And then I'm here and it's like, at some level, this is what, you know, gaming's about for me is like hanging out, playing games having a snoring hot dog at two in the morning like this is this is great right? hell yeah hell yeah i mean th- that's uh gaming is an, an intrinsically like fellowship based endeavor right. right yeah right yeah. so it should be it should be fun and we should make friends right. I, I love i love to be friends with people i play with and uh and 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 and, and make 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 friends with the people i play with you know what i'm saying i mean uh which is one of the things like that bums me out about cons sometimes is sometimes i feel like it's kind of weirdly impersonal, like people whose names you don't know. Like they sit down at your table, they take on an alias, they put in a little tent in front of you, and, and then you know you know that name uh-huh. and and person better than the the mask they were wearing is now more familiar to you than who they were. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. But now I, I feel like here at Rincon, I've uh, made some really genuine interactions. I've met some people who I will be very happy to interact with at cons in the future. But what we're talking about today is your theory that you're bringing to the world of gaming uh holding environment theory we're now because last time you and i talked was yeah. in uh was in a bar in uh in uh phoenix and you yeah. and you were calling it holding environment theory and i'm like holy shit now it's got a name <laughs> now it's a named thing now we've got two guys out there talking about it and it's got a name now it's a thing man yeah well we so this is funny right because some some ideas that you have sort of start to like they for me they fill a void and for our team, they fill the void of like, oh, this explains part of the world that we work in. A, a good example of this for me, and this is not at all equal, but when I first read about Vincent's fruitful void theory, Vincent Baker, creator of Apocalypse World, had this idea that the fruitful void is the space in the rules that there are no rules for, but that are the center of the game. So Monster Hearts can't tell you if you're queer or your character is queer or not queer. It only tells you how your character reacts, what your character feels about an individual instance. And so part of the, the fruitful void of the game is, well, are you queer? Right? Like that, that's, that's, there's no rules. I can't, the rules mean if I gave you rules, I would kill the question because you would just say, well, the rules tell me I am or I'm not. So I don't really get to decide anymore. And the experience, the experience of, of not only, of not only experiencing the question, but then of, uh, interacting with the question and supplying your answer, right? Mm -hmm, Filling mm -hmm. the void with play. Right. Mm. And so, so is it fruitful void theory? Like it's more like here is a useful term, right? And then there are other less useful terms. Like I think GNS theory, 
from, you know, I, I appreciate what Ron Edwards was trying to do with this idea of naming things as gamist or narrativist or similar. I get, I appreciate it. Right. But it's, for me, it's just kind of like, guys, uh, this, this isn't helpful. I, it, I think that that's actually been particularly damaging. I mean, you sure, don't have sure. to say that. Yeah. This is the I'll, I'll take the hit on the podcast one because then we have we have camps now. We have forums. Sure. And people at war with each other, and we have this yeah. whole thing about like, oh, our narrative games and and OSR at war right. with each other. Yeah. When the fact of the matter is, if you step back and you just look at both those games, you're like, you guys have way more in common than you don't. And I think that's not that wasn't Ron's intention, right? Ron's intention, I think, was to was to try to describe the world, not to divide it. Um, so yeah, so the same thing here with holding environment theory is I'm trying to describe the world and part of it actually comes out of um, this program I was in um, when I was in graduate school called adaptive leadership training and adaptive leadership training is you know fascinating on its own um, but the idea is that groups have kind of a, a mind among the group and the group's reaction to authority is kind of the sum of the group's relationship with authority so if you think about like how do um, Trump supporters as a group feel about Trump, right? Their relationship to authority is somewhat that they like distrust it and dislike it, but also crave it, right? And so they have this weird relationship <laughs> where they're like, yes, please be a jerk, be mean to other people, be cruel. You are showing us that authorities can't be trusted, but you're our version of that. And so we are comforted by both your cruelty and your leadership, right? Yes. <laughs> and so then there's people outside of that group who are like, look on with horror because our relationship with authority is very different. We crave different things for it. But I have also been equally horrified by people who are like, well, Obama's so smart and so talented that I don't really need to do any work anymore, have any thoughts this is this this guy is just going to take care of it and you're like well great then your relationship with authority is maybe a little dependent that you're like oh this authority is providing all the answers great i don't need to think right i'm done so <laughs> so like that there's a whole thing there and if you're interested in this stuff i encourage you to find it um there's a, an organization that's been started uh because a very recent work out of uh ronald heifetz's um He's a he's a, a psychiatrist who teaches at the Harvard Kennedy School, and it's this is still like last thirty forty years kind of work, and and it's great, and he's got a, a bunch of books on it, um, including Leadership Without Easy Answers is a really good book. But this is all stuff that's oriented towards like public policy leadership, and and the important thing for holding environment theory is one of Ron's ideas within this space was groups have holding environments like little boxes that make up the group's infrastructure. So think about it like the walls of a cell, right? There's stuff happening inside the cell, but what makes it a cell instead of just a random collection of, of organic matter is the, the walls of the cell. So we're talking about a biological cell. Yeah, sorry, yes, yeah, a biological okay. cell. And, and when you're a kid and you learn like in biology class, like there are different kinds of cells. Yeah. Aminal cells and <laughs> plant cells. And you're like, like as a child, you're like, my mind is blown, the world is made of atoms, right? Like, like if you think about it, you, know, you learn that plant cells are maybe like rigid and, and like that's how trees get to be tall and, and rigid and animal cells are sometimes like, like they they're more varied, right? Like bone is is rigid, but flesh is is you know flexible or whatever, right? And so they have different cell walls, right? So this this is the idea is that the the holding environment within a space is the strength and consistency of the walls of the cell. 
So in role playing, you're like, what the fuck is Mark talking about? Like this, like this is great for a vampire game. Like where we're talking about blood and guts and gore, but like, what the fuck is Mark talking about? All right. So the analogy here is your group, the play environment of your group is like a little cell. You have things happening within that group and there are walls around that group's activities that make up the holding environment of the group. And so to be meta about it, I'm describing the holding environment of your play, right? The GM sits down at the table. They say, hey, we're going to play cartel today. Let me tell cartel set in Mexico. Here's the tone and theme of the game. Here are the rules. Here are the basic move sheets. Here are the playbooks. These things make up the holding environment of your group, right? Like your group has a holding environment. But leaving that aside, because that's like a whole other thing, your characters then may or may not have a holding environment within the fiction. So the fiction, as we generally think about it, if you're not familiar with the concept is, as we add stuff to this world, we're agreeing on things, and those things that we have agreed on make up the fiction of the world. They can come from a published source book, but even if they're from a source book, you still have to agree that they count in your game. So you say, hey guys, I bought the Chicago by Night book, says the prince of the city is this guy Vlad, that's gonna be true for our game, right? And Maybe the GM just says that, and the players are in a place where they say, uh, "Okay, sure, yeah, like, I, yeah, like whatever, like, whatever, man." <laughs> I, I'm not in charge, so okay. Which again, authority, 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 authority. But uh, but now there's another time for that. Um, but but that's now part of the fiction. And so if you come back the next week and you say, "Oh, the prince isn't Vlad anymore. Now it's this uh, this guy Bob," then the players are like, "Okay, well, what the fuck happened?" And if the answer is, "You don't know, man." Everybody else thinks the prince is Bob. Everybody else says the prince has always been Bob. Then the fiction has gone through a change and you, the players know, oh shit, like we're something like some, a mage came in here and, you know, changed Bob and we know, right? But it's the fiction, the idea that there was a reality before that changed that means that we have an emotional reaction to it. So this world we've built together is the fiction. Now, the fiction can be ripped apart and broken if you say, wasn't the Prince Vlad last week? And the GM goes, I don't know, I don't fucking keep track of this shit. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm done here, right? Because, because you've recognized that now the fiction is not a consistent, emotionally relevant set of events, past, present, and future. It's just whatever the GM wants to say. Right, it's just like, it's just like fuckery. Yep, just fuckery, right? And, and so... You know, part of what's great about Apocalypse World is it leverages the contrast between consistency and fuckery. It says, yeah, we're going to be consistent, but the dice mechanics, the rules, everything, the playbooks give me the ability to introduce complications, this fuckery, the, 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 the fluidity of things in order to challenge you emotionally. So you're playing cartel, the boss is El Narco, you come, you know, you get a call, come on, come on in. Sicario, we need to talk to you. And you get there and uh, there's, yeah, El Marco's gone and there's a new guy. The new guy says, you work for me now. And you're like, well, this is unexpected, but checks out. <laughs> like, like uh, what, you know, and then the GM says, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do, right? And you're like, well, shit, like the fiction's real, right? So he, he was in charge. He's going to have some loyalists. This new guy is strong enough to kill him or get rid of him. Or maybe this is all a ploy, but I don't know. The fuckery, the GM's pushing on me feels real, feels like it's a real thing, and the fiction feels real. And sometimes with a game like, I don't know, 3.5 D&D, you're like, the fiction is a set of little fights that I'm gonna go through that the GM tells me are relevant. You're like, but you're like, I don't, 
I don't know if it is, right? Well, I I, I don't know. I feel like uh, I, I think when you step back from the the, the fights of three point five, everybody knows that that's just not relevant. What becomes relevant at that point is the way that the GM is cleaving to the statistics, and if one of the players in in the in the who's playing is one of those savants who knows the stats of everything, and you as the GM are like, I'm gonna fuck with him a little bit. I'm gonna change the stats on oh, the fucking yeah, owl a bear point. a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. I'm gonna look. The owl bear is doing something that owl bear's never done before. Yeah. And then that guy, he freaks out at the table. And he's like, that that's not it. That's not it. I I disbelieve this whole adventure. You know what I'm saying? Well, and lots of things can do that. I think my point is that that. D&D 3.5 is rigid a little bit. Yes. You can't you can't just say uh owl bears in this world um they're all uh, robots, right? <laughs> they're all like if you if you, you peel sure off can. if you peel off an owl bear's skin <laughs> like Stephen King style, there's just a robot inside, right? Um but Apocalypse World's fluidity gives us the best of both worlds in some ways in that. Um the OSR almost gives you like leverages fuckery to the point where you're like consistency no longer matters this room of the dungeon has like a goblin temple next room of the dungeon is like underwater and 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 you're like why and the gm says it's a fucking dungeon it's underground it's magic deal with it and you're like i didn't sign up for this so here we are Um, but all of those things with the fiction the consistency and fluidity right those are those are big picture ideas that that what I'm about to say won't make sense without. So that's not that's not the point. But but that's the idea that you have to have in mind is that there is a fictional world that you have built either because you've absorbed things from source books and put them into play, or your group has just agreed upon them, or like you were saying, because they are statistics that underlie the game's mechanical core. All of those things build the fiction. Okay, so a holding environment in the fiction, not the holding environment of the players of the group. Right. But the holding environment in the fiction is is a, a measure of how much your group, your the characters in the story have reason to interact with each other, come in conflict with each other, and participate with each other's stories. So imagine, for example, um, the holding environment for Game of Thrones, right? If you look at like book two or book three, okay, nearly every chapter is a character in a different part of the world yeah. handling different conflicts that don't matter to anyone but them except for the second order effects, i.e. if Itarian cannot keep the Blackwater Bay invasion from happening, we will lose King's Landing and I will disappoint my father who is at... He's high garden, right? Yeah, he's in a different chapter doing a different goddamn thing over there. So the holding environment of that, like, doesn't exist. The holding environment is the book, right? Like, yes, we understand that Sansa and Tyrion and John and Danny are all participating in the same fiction because literally we are turning the pages of the same book. Mm -hmm. But if I handed you two separate books, one that was everything with Tyrion and one that was everything with Danny. And I didn't tell you necessarily that they were in the same world. It might take you like half a book before you're like, oh, wait, the Westeros Danny is talking about is Tyrion's Westeros. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't realize that Mm -hmm. because the holding environment for those characters basically doesn't exist. So when people are like, it's the Game of Thrones RPG, I'm like, in what sense? 
that we're all going to come to the table and individually play out stories that don't really have anything to do with each other until we get to season eight and then everything wraps up with a dragon burning a chair. <laughs> like that doesn't, that there's no holding environment there. So when you, when you, when you say, why do game of Thrones games? Cause you hear this all the time. Oh, my games, the game of Thrones game, whatever. Why do they not work? It's because you have to make one of two choices. You have to create a holding environment that is entirely non diegetic. Mean meaning we agree. Diegesis is the idea that something appears within the fiction and it's explicit within the fiction, right? So a diegetic holding environment could be something like, we're playing masks, we're all on the same team, the name of the team is the young defenders, and so therefore we have reason to come into contact with each other over and over because we're on the same superhero team. And because it's a named thing in the fiction, an institution within the world, it's a diegetic, meaning within the fiction, holding environment. But if you're doing Game of Thrones, you must have to agree as a group, to a non-diegetic holding environment. The King is Dead does that. It says, it's by Vincent Baker, ironically, Like, but you're each playing <laughs> a member of a different house, right? And and so your holding environment is the story, right? We agree. Right. We agree we're going to set scenes as a group. There's no GM for that game, right? So we're, we're going to set scenes as a group. We're going to use the mechanics of the game to craft a narrative that moves over time. But we all agree that we're in the same story because we're in the same story, not because the fiction is going to do the work of forcing us together, but because we agree that the mechanics of the game, the non-diegetic mechanics, okay, Brendan, it's now your turn to set a scene. Who would you like to have a scene with? Mm -hmm. The non-diegetic mechanics are the ones that are going to make the fiction real for us. Okay. Now, that's the that's a good way of thinking about okay what does the absence of a holding environment look like let's go the other way and talk about what the presence of one looks like and that presence can be best defined by i think three major characteristics a successful holding environment has three major parts the first one is that it is a container for the player's actions the second Right, is that it provides direction to the player's actions. And the third is that it provides a context for the reactions of the world. So that's you know containment, direction, reaction. So I'm going to use Werewolf the Forsaken. Right? So it's a super tratty game, not indie at all, Right, over here for our successful holding environment. So if you're playing Werewolf, and you're, let's say you're, play, you're not doing something wacky. You're not like, our werewolves are all... I don't know, like corporate raiders who go from town to town. Like you're just playing the regular game. You're playing the regular game. You're not subverting the yeah, concept yeah, of the game, yeah. which people can choose to do, but totally, like you're totally. just playing it by the book. Playing it by the book, right? So, okay. So what is the container for all the players' characters? Well, they're in a werewolf pack. So when you wake up on Tuesday and you look at your phone, who probably texted you? All the other members of your pack. When somebody has a problem, like let's say I go to my house the Aslu have killed my wife. Who am I going to call? Not going to call Bob from accounting. <laughs> not going to call the fucking cops because they're, they're, they're out. They're not just outside my immediate holding environment. They're outside all of my whole, I can't trust them at all. Right. I can trust other werewolves only a little bit, but I can trust my pack like crazy. So you ever had that moment in a game in which you, you say to a player, okay, this thing has happened. And the player says, Hmm, I could go to other PCs and have scenes, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Right, right. <laughs> I'm going to sit here and do nothing, <laughs> or or <laughs> I'm going to call the authorities who are NPCs to deal with this problem, explicitly avoiding 
an encounter with another PC that would yield a productive scene, right? Right. So the strength of the container, right, that's, that's an important feature of a successful holding environment. And it needs to be diegetic, meaning like it's not that we, I guess it doesn't need to be, but it is best, I think, if it is diegetic because diegetic holding environments are those holding environments that, per, that occur in the fiction. They're not just that the players agree to do this thing, that the thing is reinforced by the fiction. So they can be relational in Urban Shadows. We set up all these debts and relationships at the beginning of the game. They can be institutional. Masks has a team. That team is a thing in the fiction. Uh, in Cartel, you're all part of the Sinaloa drug cartel. So your business is about the drug trade, right? They can be physical. In Monster Hearts, you all usually go to the same high school, live in the same shitty suburb. So when you're you know driving down the street and you get in a car wreck, who's here? Oh, can I can I be there on the scene? Can I be at the at the shop across the street? GM, yeah, for sure. Done, right? This is Apocalypse Worlds, not the engine, but the original game, a really original genius. There's like 50 people in the whole hardhold. So who's your relationships? Everybody in the hardhold. Who do you talk to? Everybody in the hardhold, especially the other PCs, right? Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to fucking go. So you, you just interact with each other over and over and over and over, right? And there isn't this problem we hit with Urban Shadows where we're like, okay, so you're in Baltimore. There's 3.4 million people in Baltimore. Why the fuck do I care about these four PCs, right? So holding environments can be loose. They can be strong. And they can also be non-diegetic, because the whole, so, so at this point you're sitting there looking at like, oh, Werewolf's got a great containment. Great. Let's talk about D&D. What let's, is the holding environment of D&D? Let's do it. Let's do it. Because you and I have different opinions on this, but well, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. And I think the problem here is that D&D is not one thing, right? So like the holding environment of a game that's set in Eberron where, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, this, this whole world is happening and you fit in this world, whatever. Part, there's two things going on here. One is GMs who play trad games are used to setting up holding environments for their players. So they'll say, I'm going to run a game of D&D, but you guys are all the representatives of the emperor of this place, and you're being sent to this town to deal with these problems. And when you finish dealing with that problem, you'll go on to the next problem. Well, congrats. You just set up a diegetic holding environment for your players. Now, we at Magpie think that's our job a little bit as a game designer, but D and D says, nah, bro, <laughs> GM has been doing this for years. They'll figure it out. Except sometimes they don't. Often they don't. They, and, and, and they don't know why the game sputters out and they don't yep, know why they'll yep. run one game and it's amazing. And they'll play it for a yep. couple of years. Everybody's raving. Everybody's yep. they're talking about their characters. Like they're real people. Then they go like, Oh, I, I got the touch. Yep. They start the next game falls apart in yep. two weeks. And it's the same. I mean, it, I don't say this from a position of condescension. I ran a werewolf LARP for years and years and years packs competing with other packs in a city with a very strong holding environment for the city. They kept all the packs together because we had like four packs, but also each pack was a strong holding environment i made them have an identity so when people came in i could be like oh you want to fight and talk dogs of war you want to sneak and do stuff silent silent night you want to you want to be like all into werewolf culture crimson cold right you you're sorted into a holding environment that works for you but i was like i'm a genius i'm so good at this fuck yeah i'm gonna run a vampire larp in the 80s so people can show up in 80s shit so two things one nobody wants to show up in 80s shit but people like us who were like alive in the 80s and so nobody ever was like why would i do this second right second i built a holding environment that was too contained right vampire can have this problem of like 
there's a prince. He's really powerful. There's a bunch of primogen. They're really powerful. The covenants and the clans all have things on lockdown and you show up and you're like, this is going to get to direction and reaction. You show up and you're like, cool. I am contained contained so much. I don't want to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. So werewolf is great because you're like, you're a pack. Okay. Who do we take our orders from? No one, man. Figure it the fuck out. Right. And so you've got to have enough juice, enough room to move. So in masks, like you're young superheroes, there are other teams of superheroes, but fuck you, Tony Stark. You can't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad. I'm gonna, I know you told me not to go after the vulture, but I'm going to go after him anyway because it's the right thing to do. If players don't have that permission from the containment field, then they're gonna they're not going to do well, right? All right. So back to D and D. The thing is that D and D works over and over and over because there's a non diegetic holding environment, which is D and D. When you ask people to play in your D and D game, if they don't know what it is, great, whatever. But if they do know what it is and they say yes, they understand it at some level to mean. I am coming with my unique snowflake character to a place in which we will have tactical combats and interesting decisions in a, in a best case situation with my friends and indie people are very condescending about that second part because we're like, yeah, but in the fiction, what's happening? And the D and D players say fiction. I'm here with my friends, right? What's the holding environment for Gloomhaven? I don't know. My characters don't have personalities in Gloomhaven, but I'm here with my friends to play Gloomhaven. Why do I need something more than that to play Gloomhaven? And that, dis- that, that like disagreement between indie folks who are generally like, look, dude, diegesis, like what's happening in the fiction that's keeping your characters together. And the trad players who are like my pal, the paladin and thief. Sure. They're like brothers or so I'd come up with some dumb thin reason that we're in the party together. But, but, I'm playing the paladin and Brendan's playing the thief. And so I know he's going to do some shitty things. And I'm going to be like, you shouldn't have done those things. Don't do them. Don't do them. And then we're going to go on to kill the other goblins (laughs) because, because it was all play acting. Right. Yeah. And if we ever get to a point where it's like a really serious, like I'm going to quit the game. If we murder these people who are completely innocent, then the holding environment kicks in and everybody's like, well, we don't want Mark to quit the game guys. Right. Well, I've been in those situations and like, and then, and then, I mean, this is, I, I think this is a problem with D&D. I know that we're talking about the theory. We're not talking about like specific games and stuff, but I mean, I've seen like real, real problems between people emerge at yeah. D&D games. Well, and that's because the, the non-diegesis is not articulated. So when we play Godbound, which actually has a kind of, a kind of non-diegetic holding environment, like you're all gods, you need each other. Sometimes to me, that's not true or you convince yourself it's not true. We've had to step back sometimes and be like, okay, I, Mark, would like to make a compromise with you, Marissa. Like she wants all these beasts to run around. She's like, I got a beast. And my guy was like a knight, like a working class knight. And I'm like, is it really wise for us to have like Kraken in the seas and dragons in the skies? Like this <laughs> seems like a bad plan, but like there's no mechanics for, for addressing this conflict between us. There's no diegetic reason that we're all together. That's going to work itself out in the fiction. It's not burning wheel. I can't do a duel of wits and like beat each other up and then be like, oh, okay, you won. I lost. So I have to step back and be like, okay, you, my partner of 10 years, I would like you to have fun here. What will, what can I give up out of character? That's going to, that's going to have you have fun. And she says, well, I just want to have beasts run around and do stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, fine. Like I, <laughs> I still get to do all my night stuff. We still get to take back this country from the evil demons that took it. She's like, thumbs up. Like, okay, cool. Fine. Yeah. But, that, that conversation would have saved at least two, uh, uh D and D games. I absolutely. Was right. So the other side of this then is the containment's the main thing. So that's why we're spending so much time on it. But the next two direction and reaction really tell you whether the holding environment is going to work in the long term, And that's because in terms of containment, as long as you keep bumping into each other, you're going to do okay. 
right? Like you're going to repeatedly have conversations, repeatedly have scenes. You can imagine if you just all went your separate ways, the GM's playing tennis or playing yeah, uh, tennis with each of you rather than soccer as a group. You're not passing the ball all between you. It's me and you, me and you, me and you. Okay, now me and me and Marissa, me and Marissa, me and Marissa. Okay, now me and Derek, me and Derek, me and Derek. That's a very unsatisfying game. Mm-hmm. And so we have to keep coming into contact. But if you're in contact, but you don't have any direction, I, you don't know where you're supposed to go in the game, then you got a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So in Werewolf the Forsaken, your direction is your spirit cops. You're supposed to patrol the boundary between the spirit world and the human world. It's fucking great. What are you doing tonight? Well, I guess I got to go do my job, right? <laughs> like, Or better, I'm not going to do my job, GM. GM's like, yes, <laughs> because now I'm going to hit you with something, yeah. right? You didn't do your job. Yeah. Whereas if you're playing in a game like Changeling, I think Changeling suffers from this a lot. It's like, well, Changeling escaped from Arcadia. So like they mostly just want to kind of stay hidden. And then and you're like, well, okay, but what am I doing? Yeah. Well, hmm. right. And so then to a successful GM come in and be like oh you guys are all defending this freehold or whatever it was right and so like i am the gm providing you the direction containment's already there you're all fairies or you're all these changelings you all know each other you all trust each other more than you trust the fairies or humans Mm -hmm. so good we're contained but the direction isn't there right and so you the gm has to provide it and then the same with reaction which means that if the holding environment doesn't point to how the world is going to change as you engage with it, and in, in Werewolf, we defend our territory. We either do that well or poorly, right? The, the the territory changes over time, right? These spirits go, these spirits stay. Interesting. These enemies go, these enemies stay. Then it doesn't actually feel like anything's happening. So I think a good example, like I've been thinking about, like what's a good example that gets two out of the three? So you brought up Vampire. Great reactions. Anything mm-hmm. you do, somebody's punching you back. Great direction. Survive. You're baby vampires in a world of larger vampires. Do what you can, secure what you need. You're like, well, I don't know if it's you know 100% great, but like there's some direction there. But you've said before, containment is really a problem because you're supposed to be in a coterie. Yeah. <clears throat> but you don't, there aren't other coteries. So there's no other coteries. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you're the only one. So and, and your coterie barely sticks together. Yeah, your coterie yeah. doesn't even want to work. Right. And like, and you're drawn apart from each other by everything else in the fiction. We're from different covenants. We're from different clans. Right. And like in a good game th- that is productive, you're like pulled apart by the forces of the world. Good. But you're pushed together by other forces, but sometimes other forces don't work. I think Shadowrun's a good example of super strong containment, super strong direction. You're a team of runners who do runner shit, but kind of poor reactions, like what changes in the world. The game isn't often clear about what changes in the world. The GM has to do a lot of that work. I mean, I think that's interesting. You you brought this up to me uh, when we were in Phoenix, and I hadn't been thinking about it on that level. And um, the concept of the environment changing I found to be interesting because it's my feeling that when you look at most, like what you call might call like major games, like the big games, uh, the environments don't really change. Um, I mean, you pointed to D and D and you said, "Oh, you the like there's a demon and it's it's attacks the village, and then you go in there and you kill the demon, and then the townspeople are like happy for you. Thank and you for killing the demon thanks. that's plagued us for forty years, and no one but you has come along to fix it. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, has anything really changed? I almost feel like D and D is similar to Shadowrun in that it almost has this kind of Star Trek The Next Generation like A to A plot line where it's like we fade in at the beginning of the episode, 
We know, oh, it's looking, it's the Enterprise. Oh, now a nebula has shown up. Problems. Sure, sure, and then sure. at the end, everybody's just back to being the who they were. But that's, but, but I would say that, that the difference here is that D&D, you level up. So you start off like, I got to clean these rats out of this bar and you go and kill the rats. Right. And then you're like, cool. They're so thankful. You killed the rats. Yeah. And by level 10, the King's like, I've summoned you here to deal with this existential threat to the kingdom. And you're like, well, you know, good. Cause I killed some rats and now I'm level 10. And so that change, that's why people emphasize leveling so much is because for them, the world is changing because they're moving up in it. Shadowrun, the world doesn't really change. You get new gear and you get new shit, but you're still runners. Now, all of this is difficult. Yeah, because- that's, an, that's an interesting point. It's a good nuance. It, it's I, I feel like it is a bit of a nuanced yeah, for sure. uh, insight, but yeah. I do hear what you're saying. And, and the bigger part here is we're talking about these things in the abstract, but no role-playing game happens in the abstract. They all happen as individualized instances. So when we're actually sitting down to play the game and we're playing D&D and I'm the GM, I'll fight. The world's going to fucking change because I'm going to GM it and I'm going to make sure it changes. You killing those rats means that this bar survived and the bar across town goes under, right? But that's but not the, in the game. Right, exactly. That's the GM work that you're just talking about. And then, and when the GM, like, like I was thinking about this, I'm like, I'm sure that there's some fucking guys out there playing Shadowrun where Dunkelzon is president and exactly. he lived yep, yep, and ah, blah, yep, blah, because, yep. because the, the world did change because yep. the GM got fixated but on something no, and they put in that work. There's no mechanics for that, right? And right. So Werewolf is great because it's actually all in the mechanics like yeah. you're part of a pack you have a totem you you say something about what your pack can and can't do you have these jobs you're supposed to do they're explicitly diegetic within the fiction fight the shartha fight other pure fight other werewolves to try to take your territory and if your territory stays the same from session one to session ten you it's like how does that even happen right right like i don't even yeah, know how you would do that to. right so it's not so werewolf to. the forsaken is an extremely successful game in this in terms of this stuff it doesn't mean it's an extremely popular game unfortunately because, no <laughs> but part of that might be because how many people really want to play cops while you're playing a role-playing game right wouldn't you rather play sexy vampires but <laughs> but this feeling of like what i want to play and what the system gives me is we're holding environment theory is useful because you're like hey I got this new game. Um, the new game is, you know, Blades in the Dark, right? I got Blades in the Dark, and I'm really excited about it. And, um, you know, it's got this diegetic holding environment where we're contained, you know, as a, as a gang, and we have this direction to go do jobs, and the world is changing around us. But I played it for like 20 sessions, and I'm encountering some problems. Some of those problems are we have serious disagreements as a gang. And the gang has grown to be like 30 people. And now the formerly really strong containment, we, five members of a gang, are constantly plotting and planning and doing stuff together, has now become a 30-person strong organization. There's no real mechanics for addressing disagreement within that organization. Mm, And so here's this game that like I fucking love at level one, but when I get to level 20 and the king brings me in at D&D and says... We need you to save the kingdom. And you're like, no, <laughs> like, I'm not interested anymore. I don't want to yeah. do it. Right. Yeah, and the GM's that. like, why won't you do what I want? And, yeah. and you're like, because yeah. the diegesis of the world tells me I can just tell you to fuck off and go back to my stronghold and defend against any threat. Yeah. Right. And so holding environments are, are not just a measure. They're snapshots of where is this game right now? Right. And the thing with Werewolf the Forsaken is such a great example is where are you in 10 years? You're still a pack, still struggling to do what you can in your territory. Maybe, maybe 
you've set up an alliance with some packs in the in the city. That's the best you can fucking do. Sure. And, and your your character has changed, but the situation hasn't. Yep. Yep. The, all all the the buildings have changed and the lines have all changed and what you've experienced has changed. Maybe you got scars on your face yep. now and you're yep. looking off in the middle yep. distance. Yep. But the, <laughs> but you're still doing the same thing. Yep. And everything's fragile, right? Like like those other alliances with the packs, you got to keep that shit up. Right? Or or things go back to the way they were before, which was worse than this, right? So when we do game design, right, we're constantly thinking about this stuff. We're saying like masks, okay, we got the strong institutional holding environment, strong relationship between the characters, but how do we keep it from being so strong and suffocating that nobody can get anything done? How do we show the world changing when it's so chaotic and different? Um, a lot of cartel came out of this because I sat down and was like, I am so fucking tired of dealing with urban shadows. Like it is exhausting to try to figure out how do I get people to interact with each other? It's still a known problem. One of the reasons we're doing second edition is because I have some new ideas about how to get people in more scenes together, doing more stuff together. But cartel, I was like, okay, fuck you, Vincent. You had just the best holding environment ever with Apocalypse World. I'm going to top it. I'm going to top it. Wow. We're going to go to Durango, Mexico. So good fucking luck going anywhere else, right? You can't go to America. That's 14 hours away. You can't get across the border. <laughs> you don't know anything else in Mexico probably. So you're just going to stay where you are. You're part of a drug cartel, which means, yes, you live in a city the size of Tucson or Albuquerque, but you only interact with 50 other people plus the 50 people that are cops or, or opposition to you, right? Extremely specific, like containment, like you are contained in like three different ways, but are you overly contained? You're a criminal, right? You're part of a drug cartel. If somebody fucks with you, you can't go to the cops. You can't opt out of the containment. You can't say, oh, I, I, I can't do anything. You have to do something or they're going to kill you right now, right? In terms of direction, that has to be supplied by the playbook. So I've given each playbook a release. Oh, you're El Narco? You need to deal with the situation of the city. You're El La Esposa? You have family commitments, right? Oh, you're married to each other? Wonderful. Now you, El Narco, are dealing with the city, and she's dealing with your family, but she needs your help. And then she gets kidnapped, and like we're both trying to do our jobs within the fiction, but it's leading us to all these different places. And sometimes it's leading us to opposition with each other. And as long as the mechanics can support that opposition, that's sweet, man. That's the sweet spot. And then in terms of reaction, cartel, everybody, it's all just fragile all over the place, right? It's fragile and incredibly resilient. Like, oh, we killed El Narco. Now I'm El Narco. Oh, man, the, the game done changed. Yeah. But did it really? Has anything really changed? <laughs> like, that's the terrible part of the drug war. Everything's different except not it's exactly the same and somehow worse right. <laughs> it sounds like life <laughs> <laughs> well we joke this is the wire you know it's just like my holy grail of like art is like every season of the wire ends with everything is exactly the same like like nothing really changed the players may have you know different people may be in different positions but nothing's really different it's just somehow worse right we go from avon and stringer to Marlowe, right? Avon and Stringer at least had some some honor, some interesting community, some interest in the business. Marlowe is just like he's a monster, he's a shark. And yet, don't they fill the exact same roles? Right? So so a lot of cartel came out of me wanting to be like, I want to fucking have a holding environment that does my work for me, as opposed to Urban Shadows, which was, oh man, a city. Oh, it's so beautiful. Doesn't contain you, doesn't offer you direction. It's so big that it's hard to have a reaction and have it be a consistent reaction. And so I did all my game design in opposition to the fictional setup. And so Cartel is like, oh, I'll do all my game design in support of the fictional setup. 
And that doesn't mean that one game's better than the other. It just means that the second one's easier. <laughs> I don't have to work so goddamn hard. So. Well, Mark, I really appreciate taking the time out of your con schedule to come down. Is there a way that people can find you on the internet? Where do you like to be uh, followed or contacted? I think, yeah, probably Twitter. Is, I hate to say it. I'm always like, hey, you guys want to do some drugs? Like Twitter, <laughs> probably. I'm Trumons on Twitter, T-R-U-M-O-N-Z. Uh, MagpieGames.com. I'm going to be writing some stuff on this holding environment thing. But, I mean, this is kind of the first time I've ever laid these thoughts out in any sort of public space. So I think this will be a thing we push and, and really try to say, well, listen to this. But um, but we're going to talk more about this on MagpieGames.com. And then, um, you know, you can find us on Facebook as well, Magpie Games there, and Twitter, Magpie Games. I think it's Magpie Official uh, is our Twitter handle. But, yeah, always happy to talk about game design stuff, man. This is great. I love this stuff. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, thanks for laying this out for everybody because I know everybody is super interested. Anyway, have a great con, man. Thank you very much. Thanks, man.